Well, it is, it is good to have you all here today. I, Matthew mentioned earlier that this summer we're going to have a group of uh, professors from the seminary. I'm on the board up at the seminary up in Wake Forest. And they're going to come down and teach us a series through about, about ethics. We're calling it Ethos. And, uh, y'all, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a great time for us. We're going to do it on Sunday nights. It's just going to be an opportunity for us as a church family to come together. We're going to do it from 6 to 7 p.m. through the summer, begin, beginning uh, July 15th. It's just four sessions, so July 15th through August, whatever, four Sundays is from that. I should know, but I don't. August 5th? August 5th. We've got Becky. Becky's the one who's really in charge of this church, so thank you, Becky, uh, for helping us out there. But that's going to be a, be a great time, so I really do. I hope you will plan on coming to that. Um, yeah, we're beginning a new series of messages today. Uh, for the next, like, 37 years, we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, not literally that long, but it's going to be a few months. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to work our way through the book of Ephesians. It's, it's six chapters long, uh, which is not, not very long, uh, but it's amazing how many sermons I can get out of that. And so to let you know, it's broken down really into two different parts. The first three chapters deal with theology. Uh, the last three chapters of the book deal with putting our theology into practice, you know, putting our faith, what we believe, into practice in our everyday life. And so our focus today is going to be on what is our identity in Jesus. You know, what does our theology have to say about who we are whenever we come into a relationship with Christ? And we all know that identity is important. Um, everybody knows that identity is something that, uh, that, that we need in everyday life. I know that one thing that many states are talking about as we are in an election year is that before you vote, you've got to have a, a picture ID of yourself because apparently a lot of people in South Carolina, dead people, vote here. I don't know how that happens, so you want to show a picture ID to prove that you're not dead. Um, identity is important. I think most of us have uh, cell phones these days. And I know that whenever the phone rings, one thing you want to do is you want to pick it up and you look at it because you want to see on that caller ID who it is that's calling you. Um, I know that's true for, uh, for me because I want to see who it is so I can determine whether or not I want to answer it. And so we all know that identity is important. But the question for us today is, what is our identity in Jesus because my, my, I guess not really a fear, I guess a frustration that I have is that there are a lot of, of people, a lot of Christians who really don't know what their identity is in Jesus. They don't understand what, what Jesus does for us, how God works in our lives. And so today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see Paul, the Apostle Paul, sharing with us what our identity is in Jesus, and if you, if you don't have an identity in Jesus, what your identity can be in Him. Because I believe once we understand who we are in Christ, what Christ does for us, it will change everything about your life. It will make a difference in your life. And this world throws a lot of junk at us, a lot of curveballs at us. And whenever we know who we are in Jesus, then we can have confidence in who we are. And so what I want us to do is we're just going to start digging in. I mean, it's just, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. So the best place to start in Ephesians, if you're going to go through the book, is your guess is probably going to be right, Ephesians 1. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can, op you can open it up to Ephesians. So we're going to look in Ephesians 1, and we're going to start out in verse number 1. So you all look there. Uh, while you're looking there, uh, Paul wrote this letter, and uh, I'm going to give you all a little, I'm going to ask you all a question I ask all the time when we talk about Paul. Guess where Paul was? Whenever he wrote this book, 
Yep, he's in the, he's in the pokey. Uh, Paul is in prison again. And Paul's in prison because of his faith. This is near the end of his life. It was written about 62 AD. Um, he's in Rome. And he found it necessary to write to the Ephesian church because there's a lot of false teachers that were coming in after Paul, you know, is in prison now. And they're telling people, hey, you don't just need Jesus. You need more than Jesus. And so what was happening is people were getting confused about their identity in Jesus. And they started wondering, I mean, do we need more than Jesus? You know, in, in our life, if we're going to have a relationship with God, is there extra stuff that we've got to do? And so there was confusion about their identity. And I think very much so today we deal with the same kind of issues. There's confusion about who we are as Christians. Uh, some people think, you know, you can ask, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and some people will tell you, well, I mean, really to be a Christian it means you just got to be nice to other people. Uh, that, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But, you know, that's how we kind of define it. I'm just sort of a good guy. I'm nice. Uh, others of us think, well, it really doesn't matter what you do or really what you believe in. It's just one way to express, one of many ways to express a relationship with God is through Jesus. In other words, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. Everything's going to sort of work out in the end anyway. Well, when I look in the Bible, I, I think, man, there's, there's definitely some reasons for confusion. And so what I'd like for all of us to do is I'd like for us to, to remove what we think we know, and let's just take a look and see what the Bible says. You see, you know, instead of me just say, having some assumptions about, about who I am in Jesus, let me, I just need to put all that away, and I'd like for you to do the same thing. And let's just see, what does the Bible say about who we are in Jesus, what our identity is? So what's our identity in Jesus? Paul shares with us three basic things in this text. very first thing that he shares with us about who we are in Jesus is, first of all, it's really interesting, Paul says that we are adopted. We're adopted. Now, look, if you have your Bible, you can just look in, or actually you can look on the screen here, uh, verses 1 through 6. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the saints and believers in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we learn from these couple of verses who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of Christians in Ephesus. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. Now again, there are a lot of people who, who don't think it really matters what you believe because you know, ultimately everything's going to be fine. Ultimately, we just sort of have this idea of this hope that you know, don't worry about it, we're all going to end up in heaven anyway except for people like you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler. And we feel good about saying that because it's not judgmental. We say, you know, there's some really bad people. They're not going to make it to heaven, but all the rest of us are. And that, that sounds good. It sounds nice and easy. But guys, let me tell you something. Here's the deal. The Bible lets us know that before we can be considered the children of God, we have to be adopted into God's family. Okay, before we can be considered the children of God, we have to be adopted into God's family. Now, you can think, well, my whole life I have heard that we're all God's children. Y'all heard that before? 
You know, we're all children. Why do I need to be adopted? I don't need to worry about that. I'm, I'm, I'm one of God's children. That's, that's what we've always said. Well, we, were, we have all been created by God, no doubt about it. Uh, you can go back to the, to the Garden of Eden. And you might remember the very first people. Y'all tell me who they were. Bill and Mary. That's right. It's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, very first people. And they lived in the Garden of Eden, right? They lived in God's house. I mean, this is God's place for them. It's their home. Remember what happened to them? They got, y'all remember, they were the first people to ever get evicted. They got kicked out of, God, of their house. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Why? What happened? Eve, right. Now, there was sin. Uh, sin took place. And they, they were disobedient to God. Both of them, Adam and Eve, were. So they sinned against God. God kicks them out. The only way they could come back into a right relationship with God was through the grace of God. Folks, the same thing is true with us. Sin separates us from God. It messes up our relationship with Him. And the only way we can come into the family of God is through adoption. Because in our nature... In our nature, we are rebellion. We are rebellious against God. So I need God in His grace to receive me into His family. Now, if if a child has been adopted, a person who's been adopted understands this. If there's an orphan child, we all know if they're going to be a part of the family, that kid knows something's got to happen to him. He's got to be adopted. Now, what makes it difficult is that child does not leave the orphanage and walk up to somebody and say, hey, you're going to adopt me. Before the adoption takes place, who is the one who's responsible for getting the kid? Is it the kid or the adoptive parent? It's the adoptive parent, right? The parent chooses the kid. Our text shares with us that God chooses his children. Now, we're going to explain this just a little bit here so we don't all get messed up. This is known in our text. It's called election. The doctrine of election. Now, what can really bring comfort to us is to know that God, that God thinks I'm pretty cool. God chooses me. God chooses us to be in his family. Jesus said in John 15, 16, Jesus said this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In Luke chapter 19, we're told that God is the one who seeks after sinners. We don't naturally seek after God because we naturally, we like to fight with God. We naturally like to be disobedient to God. Now this doctrine, again, it can bring you some comfort because it tells us that God chooses us to be a part of his family. If you look at our text, it says, before the foundations of the earth. Before the world was ever made, God was thinking of you. Before the world was ever made, God chose you to be in his family. Now where we get a little bit nervous is we look at that and we say, well, that's great. That means that salvation, it rests on God and not my performance. But others of us, and I'm one of them, can say, if that's true, does that mean that God chooses some people to be in his family, but he doesn't choose others? Y'all ever thought about that? Does it mean that, that God has, has decided that he is going to say, okay, uh, I want Matthew to go to heaven, but I want this person to go to hell? Is that who God is? Is that what it's saying? If you look at the whole context of Scripture... You, you can't say that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved who? The world. We're told in Scripture that God loves 
all people. He died for all people. Now, the Bible teaches us that God chooses who will be in his family, but it also teaches that man has a responsibility to respond to the gift that God has given us. And Scripture points this out. In many different places, one place is John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I'll never drive him away. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, the idea of God choosing who's going to be in his family and the idea of men having responsibility, they're both taught in Scripture. They're both taught in Scripture. Now, I, I personally, my mind, just to let you all know, is rather small. I cannot, I, I don't know how the, these two things work out together. How God chooses, yet I have responsibility. I don't know how those work out. I just know they're both taught in Scripture. They work hand in hand. And to, to accept one and to deny the other is not to be true to Scripture. And just to be honest with you, there's a lot of things in Scripture that I can't quite get my hands around completely. And, and that's okay with me. I don't have to, y'all, I don't have to know perfectly everything. And it gives me, I've told y'all before, it gives me some comfort to know that my God's mind is bigger than mine. If I could explain God, then I'm a little bit nervous about the God that I serve and worship. <laughs> because he's not going to be a very big God if I can explain him. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that, that I can't get my hands around. Some, very, some basic things. Y'all think about it. We, we, some of us might struggle in this issue. But you know what? I, I, can, can you get your hands around the fact that there really is eternal life? Can you get your hands around the fact that the Bible teaches that when we die, that God's going to raise us from the dead again? Now that sounds good. That's awesome. But can you really grasp that? I, I can't grasp that very well. Grasping the whole idea that, that God actually can forgive me, can wipe my slate clean of my sinfulness, and it says in the Bible that he can throw my sin as far as the east is from the west, that's, that's tough for me to comprehend. And yet I just, I, I trust it, and I, and I have my hope there. But back to the main point, which is my identity in Jesus. For those of us who surrender ourselves to Jesus, the Bible says we are adopted into his family. We become a part of his family. What's the significance of that? It means we become his inheritors. It means we become a part of his will. And we get to receive his riches. Now for some of you, you've experienced that in this life. Some of you are related to people and they've passed on and that you were in their will and you received something from them. Some of you received, you could have received a lot from someone. Most of us, the people that we're related to, don't have anything. And so we say, I'm in their will, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot. With God being in his will, oh, it means everything. You see, you're not going to come up empty-handed in God's will. You know, you know what you inherit from, from God? Forgiveness. Hope. Joy. Grace. The Bible says, a place reserved forever for you in heaven. That is a good list. Now the unfortunate thing is most of us live our lives in poverty, in spiritual poverty, when God says, I have riches for you. You can live in joy and peace and comfort. And yet so many of us, we, we don't know our identity in Jesus. 
probably the greatest known miser in American history was this lady named Hetty Green. She died in 1916. When she died, she was worth over $100 million, a lot of money. Today, way, in 1916, that was a, really a lot of money. Uh, when she died, what was interesting about this lady is that um, she ate cold oatmeal every day for her meals. The reason why is because she did not want to pay the money for electricity. She didn't want to heat up any of her food. Uh, she had a son who got his, his leg got hurt. She went around looking for free clinics to treat her son's leg. She waited so long that his leg became infected with gangrene and they had to amputate it. It's a lady with $100 million. And you look at that lady and think, that lady is crazy. She was living, she was not living in her wealth, she was living in poverty. And that's exactly what many of us do with Jesus, because we don't know who we are in Jesus. And we live in poverty, we live in despair, when we have a God who tells us that our identity in Jesus is we've been adopted into his family. Who are we in Jesus? You know, you know, we're adopted into God's family, we're part of his family. Who are we in Jesus? Let me show the second thing with what Paul tells us. Paul tells us that we are also redeemed. In Jesus, you're adopted, but you're also redeemed. In verse number 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Slavery in the Roman Empire was very common, but there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. That is a ton. Uh, you can imagine every, the, the dream for every slave was going to be to have freedom. They're hoping that their slave owner would turn them loose so that they would be able to save up enough money to be able to buy their own freedom. Now, we can look at our world today and say, we really don't have a problem with slavery today. You know, it's, it's illegal. We don't, we don't do human trafficking anymore. So we don't have that problem. You, folks, we are, we are all enslaved. We are all enslaved to sin. Jesus said, the person who sins is a slave to sin. As a matter of fact, he said in John 8, 34 and 35, he said, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now, who sinned? You know, if, ever, if the people who sin are slaves to sin, then who sinned? The Bible says we all have. Romans three twenty three says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Personal experience is also a testimony to us that we've all, that we've all sinned. Now, I guarantee you, that nobody in this room in their right mind is going to say, I have lived a perfect life. You know what I mean? If any of you say, I have gone through life and I have never messed up in my life, you, no, we all know, you, we just need somebody who knows you to speak up. Okay, because that, that, that ain't true. We've all messed up. Now, we, well, I think all of us will agree with that. No, we, we've all messed up. And so what we do is we say, yeah, yeah, I've, I've messed up, I've screwed up before, but you know, I'm just human. You know, I've, you know, boys will be boys. You know how we are. Yep, I've sinned before. Now, we can admit that, but where we get into trouble is we don't understand that sin has dire consequences. Y'all, it is a big deal for us to live in a way that is not perfect. There are consequences that come with sin. What, what are they? Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. You must say, boys will be boys. If your boys will be boys, you know where it leads? It leads to death. Romans 8.6-8 says, the mind of sinful man says is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot be 
can or cannot please God. In a nutshell, you know what this means? It means we're in trouble. And we're in trouble because we all sin. And we have a price to pay for it. But here's the good news. Verse 7 says, in Jesus we have redemption. That word redemption is the picture of someone paying the price to set a slave free. Isn't that neat? You know what Jesus came here? He came here to set you free. Because we all have a debt that on our own we can't pay. We're slaves. You know, if you're trying to earn enough money to pay for your own freedom, it's really difficult whenever you're a slave because you're not making money. So we need somebody to step in and to help us. That's what Jesus has done. He's come to be our Redeemer. Now, a lot of, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus, was a, he was a good guy. He's a great example for us. Let me tell you something. Jesus is more than just an example for us. He's more than just a good guy. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Redeemer. He's the guy carrying all the money in his wallet to pay for freedom. And that's why he gave his life for us. Because without him, we are in over our head. We're drowning. You ever been in over your head before? You ever been in a situation where you thought, man, I am in trouble and I cannot get out of this mess on my own? I, I remember a few years ago, our family, for a while, we'd go to Edisto Beach um, every every year. Y'all know Edisto? Yeah, I love Edisto. It's a great place. There's absolutely nothing there. And uh, on the beach, if you've been there before, they have these long, like it's like little jetties that run out. And uh, the, the drop-off at the beach is really steep. And so when the, when the tide's coming in, it, I mean, it gets rough. And so we, you know, we had our, our kids out there all swimming. And uh, my son Glenn was out there, and the tide started coming in. And man, it just sort of sucked him right over to that little, those stone walls, those jetties. Got him over there, and he could not get out. And the waves were just, they were beating into him. And I just happened to look up, and I saw it scared me to death. And I thought, this is not good. I mean, Emily's not there. I mean, great. You know, it's my fault. So my kid's drowning out there. He's in over his head. And I, I sat there and watched him. I was like, well, it's time for him to, you know, uh, swim or not. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, anyway, I'm just kidding. So he starts going under. I run out there, and I, I jump in the water. I swim out to Glenn. He's, he's in over his head. He can't get out. I, I grab hold of him, I get knocked into that little wall, and just the big hero that I am, I chunk him out from that wall as far as I can, and he makes it back to safety, and, and so did I. But it, the only reason why Glenn was okay was because I intervened for him. He was in over his head. Y'all, we are in that kind of situation. We are in over our head in this life without Jesus. And that's why we have some good news here concerning our identity in Jesus. Who are we in Christ? We're adopted we're redeemed. And it's the last thing I want to share with you. Who we are in Jesus. We have knowledge. We know his will. When we're in Jesus, we can know God's will. Now look with me in verse number 9 and 10, our last few verses. It says, He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Now, I think most people, and I, I, I think this, I, it's a fact, most people know that there's something that's not right in our world. Uh, we're, we're in an election year this year. They're doing all these polls. They drive me crazy because they can make those things say anything they want them to. But one, one poll that I know is true is that Americans all across the board agree that our nation is not on the right path. 
It doesn't matter if you're left or right, Democrat or Republican. We all have that general sense, something ain't right. That's why you have on one side, you have the Tea Party movement. On the other side, you have Occupy Wall Street. Obviously, diverging opinions there, but the thing they agree on, something's not right. Uh, Me personally, something's not right, and I know that. I look around, I see just some of the basic values uh, basic biblical values that, that we hold to as a church and as Christians, that they're being left behind. And I see states now that are, that are, that are legalizing things, and I say, that's contrary to Scripture. We're now saying that, that marriage is not just between a man and a woman. It's now between the same sex. And, and, and I, look at, I look at a lot of things, I think, what in the world is going on here? Yeah, you, know what the, you know what one of the big mysteries is in Scripture? that God reveals to us, it is this. It is that we are broken. We are broken by sin. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, we go, yeah, we're broken by sin. Why can't everybody else see it? Because it's only, only, only God reveals it to his children, that we're broken by sin. Uh, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You know what God's long-range plan for us is? It's to take the brokenness that we have in this world and for Jesus to put everything back together again. Our text, the last two verses we just read, it says that God wants to put everything together again under the leadership of Jesus. You know why we teach Jesus at Village Church? Because Jesus heals. Because Jesus redeems. Isaiah 53.5, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this is what he said. He said, by his wounds, by the wounds of Jesus, he says, we are healed. Why, why do we talk about Jesus on Sundays? Because Jesus heals people. God has created each person with an internal compass that lets them know that there is a God for them to seek after. But sin broke that compass within us. And so we're confused. We don't know who we are. And we search for joy and meaning and purpose in just about everything. And when we end up in despair. Now, if your compass is broken, what needs, to be, what needs to happen? You need to get it fixed. How does, how does that compass within us get fixed? Verse number 7, it says, In Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And once we get realigned, it's just like a car, your trip in this life is going to be a lot smoother. So who are we in Jesus? Well, I see Paul points out a few things to us. He says we're adopted, part of God's family. Who are we in Jesus? We're redeemed. God puts us back together again. And the last thing I see is that we have knowledge. We, we, we can know God's will for us. And as a God wants us in fellowship with him. 